Lord, thank you so much for Jack and for Lisa and the impact that they had and their family, Lord, on, on our body. And just pray for them, God, that you might make clear your will for them in the next stage, the next phase of, of life. Lord, that you would provide a, um, Lord, a place for them to minister. Thank you, Lord, for the church they're at now, and it's been so uh, welcoming to them, and for the opportunity they had this summer to be able to go and spend time together and uh, travel across the country. And we pray, Lord, that you would um, use them mightily for your kingdom as you have for us. Lord, too, I want to pray for those from the Harvest Festival who step forward indicating an interest or desire to follow you. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work that within their hearts and then the opportunities that we have here at Calvary to follow up many of those individuals personally. I pray for those times, Lord, that you would use them, God, to be uh, bringing, uh, Lord, those into your kingdom who you have chosen. Thank you for allowing us to participate in that. And thank you, too, Lord, for your word. We're just always grateful that you have given us uh, your mind and your heart and your desire for who we are to be and and what you have done for us and who you are. And I pray, Lord, now as we look at your word in Ephesians 4, that you would move in us to understand and apply it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will be back in Ephesians 4 this morning, so you could be turning there. It was Scottish poet Sir Walter Scott who said, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. I came across a survey this week that was taken and asked a simple question. Direct, but simple. Its its question was, Are you a liar? 95% of those who answered said no. (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) 3% 3% said yes. But what was interesting about this survey is that they asked several follow-up questions to kind of test the validity or the veracity of, of those who had answered it. And what they found was that the 3% who admitted that they were liars actually were 30 times more honest in those follow-up questions than the 97% who said they were truthful. A survey done by MSNBC not long ago found that almost 1 in 10 who said that they have never had to lie reported in the very next question that they might have told a lie in the past week. (laughs) Makes you wonder, how can you have a good survey, an accurate survey on lying? Answer me that one. You know, no car salesmen or politicians or lawyers, they're often the ones that we make the most jokes about in in terms of their, their deceit and their lying. But let's admit it. I mean, everybody struggles with this. In fact, I heard of a pastor who came across a group of uh, junior high boys and they were uh, surrounding this dog. And, you know, and anytime you see a group of junior high boys, you've you got to be uh, suspicious, right? So they're surrounding this dog and he's a little concerned that they're going to do something to the dog. So he goes up to this group of boys and asks them what they're doing. One of the boys said, well, we just found this stray dog and we can't decide who should be able to, allowed to take it home because we all want the dog. And so they said, well, we came up with this contest. Basically, we've decided whoever can tell the biggest lie gets to keep the dog. Well, the pastor wasn't too pleased with that, and he scolded them for having a contest about lying. And then he launched into this mini-sermon about how lying was a sin and, and that one should never lie. And he ended it with this statement, why, when I was your age, I never told a lie. Well, after he was done... The boys were silent for a moment. Uh, The pastor thought maybe he had gotten through to them. And then the, the smallest boy among them, he looked around at the others and with a deep sigh, he said, all right, he gets the dog. (laughs) 
Yes, even pastors lie. Some pastors. Okay, yes, I've lied to <laughs> more than I care to admit. You know, and it, it you know, we, we kind of have fun with this, but it, it is very sobering to think about just how pervasive lying is in our culture. You know, many people today seem to think that lying is okay as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else or as long as there's a, a better motive or reason or goal behind it, then it's okay. They think that though lying may be a sin, it, it really isn't as bad as, as adultery or murder or abuse. But you know, I find it interesting in this passage in Ephesians 4 that we're going to look at, the main theme is to walk in love. The very first thing that Paul talks about and how we're to treat one another is honesty. And so with that, let us turn to Ephesians 4, and if you could please stand as I read God's Word. Ephesians 4, we'll be reading beginning in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, the main theme of this section is given at the very end of the section in the command to walk in love. And Paul then, in the preceding eight verses, talks about various ways that we are to express that love to one another. He talks about honesty, about anger, about theft, communication, conflict. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a pattern in each of these topics that he brings up. He, he talks about a, a negative command, then he gives a positive command, and then he gives the reason for the command. He describes not just what not to do, but also what to do, and then why. If we look at, he talks about stealing. He doesn't just say, don't steal. He says, let him labor, perform with his own hands, so he can give to someone who has need. He talks about our speech, that our speech should not be tearing down others, but building them up, so that Christ, they would mature in Christ and not grieve the Spirit. He talks about conflict. He doesn't just say, don't engage in conflict. He says, but be kind and tenderhearted and forgive because of Christ's example. And I think this pattern in these verses shows us a very important principle in this whole area of sanctification. And that is that we aren't just to be focused on the sins that we're to be running from. We're not just to be concerned about temptation and, and staying away from temptation all the time. We're not just to be centered upon the thou shalt nots. Sometimes we can go so caught up in what we are to be avoiding and running from that we forget where we're supposed to be running to. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, But now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You see, the Christian life is not just about playing defense. It's also about offense. 
And you need to not only keep away from sin, but also pursue righteousness. A walk in love isn't just avoiding sinning against one another, which it is important, but it's also to actively pursue the good for one another. And let's look at the first way we can do that. Back in verse 25, let me read it again. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. How does a walk in love begin? A walk in love firstly begins by being truthful with each other. And as we consider this topic, we're going to look at both sides of the coin. We're going to look at it from the one side on the negative end, the lying that Paul talks about, and also the positive side, telling the truth. So I want to frame our time together with four questions. Uh, Two questions on lying. We'll talk about what it is and what God thinks of it. And then talk about truth. Why should we speak the truth? And how do we cultivate speaking the truth to one another? Well, let's start with that first statement Paul makes, laying aside falsehood. What is falsehood? What is lying? That may seem like a simple question, but as I said earlier, I think in our culture the lines have been blurred a little bit, haven't they? As to what really is a lie, what really is wrong, what constitutes a lie seems to be an open debate. So I want us to go briefly back to square one and define it. The Puritan Richard Baxter, who wrote a lengthy treatment on lying, he said in effect in that section in his book, The Christian Directory, he said, you're lying whenever you are talking, but not telling the truth. Simple, but profound. Theologian Wayne Grudem offered a similar definition. He said, a lie is to affirm in speech or writing something you believe to be false. I think that's a good biblical definition. A lie is something you affirm in speech or writing uh, is, is what you affirm in speech or writing that you believe to be false. If I look at a few passages, I think, that support this. Romans 9.1 says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Spirit. Or Job 27.4, My lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Or Psalm 120, verse 2, Psalmist says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Galatians 1.20, Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. And even here in Ephesians 4.25, Speak truth with one another. There, these verses are telling us what I, what I write, what I speak, essentially what I communicate to you. If it contains something that I know to be false, then I've lied to you. I've intentionally deceived you. And there are all kinds of, all different forms of lying, right? We have the, the top, over-the-top, brazen, bald-faced lie, right? I, I didn't eat that cookie, right? Or I did that on purpose. Did you catch that? It's a little subtle. I wasn't speeding, officer. Or, I didn't say that. Or the famous one, right? I cannot tell a lie. And there are those little white lies, right? No, you you don't look fat in that. (laughs) Or, yes, honey, you have big muscles. (laughs) Or the one, you know, I got stuck in traffic when you really did leave later than you should have. Or those slight exaggerations, right? The the fish I caught was, was, was this big. Or the, I, I only copied one question off of his paper. Or uh, I used to walk five miles to school, right? Uphill with my sister on my back in the rain. Just like Tim Townsend. Uh, right? There's those exaggerations. Or there's those justified lies that, well, if I don't cheat on this test, I'm not going to pass the class. If I report everything on my taxes, I'm not going to have enough left over to support my family. 
Or, you know, I really need this job, so it's okay to fudge a little bit on this part of my resume. You know, most would agree that the direct lie, the -the over-the-top lie, is is wrong. But we tend to often excuse these others as, as harmless or acceptable or as done for a greater good. People often bring up the situation if you were hiding Jews in your house in Nazi Germany and you were approached and asked about it. And they ask this question with really the assumption that it would be okay to lie in this circumstance. And, and so there must be then other situations where it's okay to lie too, right? And it isn't long before lying becomes so justified that it's pretty much acceptable in nearly every situation because we can always come up for a good reason to lie, right? It's like every sin. We, we have good reasons for it. But little white lies or fibs or exaggerations or half-truths or incomplete information, they might all seem okay. But lying, brothers and sisters, has become so pervasive in our culture that I really don't think we have a concept anymore of just how wrong it is. As one man said, honesty pays. It just doesn't pay enough. But you know what? What matters in the end? What matters in the end regarding this issue? And What is a lie and what is wrong and what is not? All that matters at the end of the day isn't what we think about it, isn't how we define it, isn't how we consider it. It's not how we perceive whether lying hurts someone else or not. It's not how we may compare lying to other sins and say they're not as bad as as gossip or murder. But what matters at the end of the day is what God has to say about it, right? How does He define lying? and What does He think about it? And that's our second question I want to look at today. What does God think about lying? It seems like God's opinion today on this matter has become irrelevant. I think on this issue, God's treated like the the kid in the back of the classroom who's raising his hand frantically to answer the question because he knows the answer. And all the while, the teacher's ignoring him. Let us not forget that it was God who first gave the command not to lie, right? He forbids it. You know the ninth commandment, right? What did God say there in Exodus 20, verse 16? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, does that mean that God was only concerned about a courtroom situation and that we're only to be truthful there? No, God condemns all lying regardless of circumstances. Exodus 23, 1. God says, you shall not bear a false report. He said in Leviticus 19.11, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Or down in verse 16 of Leviticus 19, You shall not go about as a slanderer, a talebearer against your neighbor among your people. Paul says it bluntly and flatly in Colossians 3.9, Do not lie to one another. And then here again in Ephesians 4.25, We're commanded, Speak truth, each of you to one another. Right? These passages are plain, right? They are not suggestions, they're not preferences. These are commands that are given to us directly by God. Lying is a sin. It is wrong. Flattery, cheating on your test, betraying a confidence, not keeping your word, exaggerating, embellishing, cheating on your taxes, putting your own spin on a certain situation, leaving out information intentionally, evading a question or a topic so as to deceive falsifying your resume or job application. These are all lies. Any communication that gives information you know to be untrue is lying. And God forbids it. And not only that, He hates it. 
Part of Ephesians 4.25 is a direct quote from Zechariah 8.16, where Paul is quoting from that passage. Let me read uh, the the next few statements that are made there in Zechariah 8.16. These are the things, God's speaking through Zechariah, which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Also, let none of you devise evil in your heart against one another, and do not love perjury. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. How does God feel about lying? What does he say there about it? Turn to Proverbs 6. This is a more well-known text, but I think it's important for us to see this. I want you to see this. Proverbs 6 talks about what God has to think about various sins, including lying. Proverbs 6, will be beginning in verse 16. And here Solomon describes in poetic fashion those things which God hates. These are, there are six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and a man who sows discord among brothers. What does God hate? What does He abhor? Calls here, what does He have an abomination towards? First on the list is pride. But what's the second thing? What's the second thing? A lying tongue, right? A lying tongue. Now, the tongue is not the source of the lie, but it is the instrument of carrying it out, right? God absolutely despises it. When we use that tongue to speak falsehood, when we purposely deceive one another or or use our mouth to slander. And what I find interesting here is, did you notice that God also says there that He hates a false witness who spreads lies? Two out of the seven things that God says that He hates and abhors have to do with lying. That alone should get our attention, right? And here he says that these things are an abomination to him. Or in Proverbs 12.22, he says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Abomination is a, a word that means to loathe or detest or to make nauseous. Nauseous. Lying makes God stick to his stomach. A good translation of Proverbs 12.22 would be, Lying lips make God want to throw up. That's the, the thrust what's behind that i don't think the language could be any stronger could it about how god feels about lying in fact turn to jeremiah 9 i want you to see this how god feels about it and the fact that he won't ignore it god here is speaking through the prophet jeremiah and he's giving an assessment of the current condition of the people of judah jeremiah lived in a time right before people of judah went into captivity in babylon So Jeremiah was able to observe all the the sin that had taken place among the people. And here in chapter 9, we'll be starting in verse 3, God speaking through Jeremiah describes what he sees in his people. Verse 3 of chapter 9, They bend their tongue like their bow. Lies and not truth prevail in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone be on guard against his neighbor, and do not trust any brother. Because every brother deals craftily, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor and does not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. Your dwelling is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Skip to verse 8. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. 
It speaks deceit. With his mouth one speaks peace to his neighbor, but inwardly he sets an ambush for him. Well, quite a description. Lying had become rampant among his people. Everyone there had spewed forth lies and deceit to the extent that, that God even says, hey, don't trust those around you. All they are doing is speaking lies and deceit. This is the danger I was talking about earlier. It is so easy to, to slip into this kind of a situation. You know, we can excuse lying and, and justify and ignore it until it permeates everything about us. And as a result of that lying, what happens? Again, here God says, don't trust them. Those around you are speaking against you. Those who are speaking peace to you actually have a plan to harm you. But then notice God's response. Look at verse 9. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? On a nation such as this, shall I not avenge myself? Or verse 11. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. God felt very strongly about the lying and deceit going on there. He hates lying. He, he hates it to the point that he will bring serious consequences for it if he needs to. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Right? They dropped dead. Now, did God bring that consequence because they didn't put enough into the offering plate? Some guys I've heard say that, to try to encourage more giving, but no, that's not it at all. <laughs> God did not strike them dead for not giving enough, but for lying about it. Acts 5, Peter said, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but to God. And they lied just about for how much they sold their land for. Lying is serious business, brothers and sisters. It matters to God. It is a big deal. Don't think that any lie is okay. Little white lies are not little, and they're not white. Fibs are not minor alterations of the truth. They're speaking what is false, and God hates it. When our kids were younger, we had um, three uh, specific rules or three actions that if they did these three specific things, any one of them, the consequences would be swift and severe. And we wanted to deal with all sins in their lives, but there were three in particular that we felt was important enough that they really understand these are a big deal to God. The first one was if they would say no directly to our face after we gave them an instruction. We would deal with that. Secondly, it was tantrums. If they would throw a tantrum, we would deal with that swiftly as well because that is another form of rebellion. And I always tell people, yeah, all my kids have thrown tantrums, but only one because it's a serious issue to us. And the third thing that we talked about that, that was a serious, was one of our major offenses was lying. Because lying is a big deal, and we wanted our kids to understand that. It's never okay. It's never okay. In fact, turn to, over to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Second to the last chapter in your Bible. It's where we see God describing these two chapters. We're given probably the most information about heaven and, and the bliss of heaven and what it will be like there. And in the midst of, of God and, and Christ describing what heaven will be like, we're also told of those who will not be there. In Revelation 21, beginning in verse 7, God says this, He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But 
for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all what liars their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death skip down to verse 25 the new jerusalem is described here in the daytime for there will be no night there its gates will never be closed and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and what lying shall ever come into it but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life Go to the next chapter, chapter 22, verse 14. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Wow. Lying is no... Minor aberration, is it? It's no insignificant offense. In fact, I find it interesting that that in the last two chapters in the Bible, whose focus is on heaven, three different times, God says, I'm not going to have any liars there. Three separate times, He brings up this issue of lying. He says, I will have no liars in my presence. Anyone who practices lying will be separated from me for eternity. You know, we joke about all liars go to hell, right? not a joke. Thomas Watson said, he that will lie in his trade shall lie in hell. But why is it such a big deal to God? Why does he care so much about it? I mean, they're just words. They don't hurt anybody. It's not like I took a bat out and was beating somebody with it. They're just in my speech. They're just things I say. Why is God treated so seriously? Well, the first thing we need to remember is what brought about the first sin in mankind? What was it? A lie. By the chief of liars, right? Eve believed a lie. And of that liar, Jesus said in John 8, 44, that Satan does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And that's why we made this such an important issue with our kids, because when we lie, who are we acting like? God's greatest enemy who is characterized and described as the deceiver. Satan, it means to deceive. It's a Hebrew word for deceive. He's the father of lies. And whenever I tell a lie, I'm acting like the one who hates God. God also hates lying because it destroys people. Right? You remember the description in Jeremiah 9 where God himself was even saying, hey, don't trust those around you. They're only lying. It brings mistrust, it brings hurt, it brings conflict within any group of people. But the biggest reason God hates lying is because it is completely contrary to who He is. It's totally opposite to His nature. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that He should lie. 1 Samuel fifteen twenty nine says, The glory of Israel will not lie or change His mind. Hebrews six eighteen says, It is impossible for God to lie. Richard Baxter once said, Lying is a vice which maketh us most unlike God and is the image and work of the devil. Lying is all that God is not. I mean, think about it for a minute. If God did lie. Titus 1, 2 says, In the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised 
long ages ago. But what if he did lie about that promise? Oh, yeah, that promise I made about heaven. Oops. Yeah, I realized that, you know, this is just going to be too much effort for me. You know, it's, it's going to be hard to keep my eye on all of you all the time. Sorry about that. Or what if God fibbed a little here and there? Yeah, I, I know I told you that if you repent and, and believe in Jesus Christ that you would be saved. But you really, there's a few other things I left out. Sorry about that. What if God exaggerated? I know I said eternal life, but, but that's a long time. Sorry about that. No, God hates lying because he is the truth. He loves truth. He never will speak a falsehood. God will never lie. And he wasn't, doesn't want his children practicing it either. But then there are some who ask, well, okay, what about Rahab? Did she not lie to protect the two spies? And did not God commend her? For her actions, Hebrews 11, she's in there. And James 2, she's praised. Well, what was it specifically she was praised for? Was she commended for her lying or for her fear of God? Jacob is another one, another famous liar. Remember, he uh, duded himself up. Uh, his mother told him, hey, get in there, get, your, get Esau's clothes on. Here, I'm going to prepare a meal. You need to go in and tell your father you're Esau so you can get his blessing. So he, uh, Jacob goes in there with a bald-faced lie. Yes, I am, I am Esau says it twice. And then his father blesses him. And you know what? God fulfills that blessing and blesses this liar. Does that mean it's okay? What about the Egyptian midwives? Some people bring them up too, that they, they may have lied to Pharaoh when Pharaoh who had wanted all the Hebrew males to be killed, all the male babies, and the midwives, uh, when they, they weren't doing it. And so Pharaoh asked them, well, why aren't you doing it? And they said, well, these Hebrew women are vigorous. I mean, they're having these kids before we can even get to them. Which may have been true, by the way. Now, some think that, well, they were probably lying there. And, and God, in Exodus one twenty, it says that he was good to the midwives because they feared God. Now, again, it was their fear of the Lord that was commended, not what they did in terms of potentially lying. Calvin and Augustine both say that these are not examples where God condones lying, but where he shows mercy in spite of lying because of their faith. They're examples to be followed in the fear of the Lord, not in their lying. God did not approve of lying here or in the case of Rahab or Jacob any more than he approved of the sin that took place in nailing his son to the cross. He allowed and used Pilate and the Jewish leaders and Judas in order to accomplish the redemption of mankind. Was he happy about what had happened with his son? Was he pleased with the blasphemy that took place? Did he feel good about the fact that a a perfect man was put on a cross and killed for something he didn't do? No, he did not approve of the sin, but he allowed it. He allowed that righteous man, Stephen, to be stoned to death, and James to be beheaded. Not because he approved of that sin, but he used it in order to scatter believers so that they would share the gospel to the nations. To accomplish his will, God will allow sin. Just because Rahab or Jacob or the Egyptian midwives, just because they may have lied does not mean that God is okay with that, but he he used it. John Murray said this, 
We know little of biblical theology if we do not recognize that God fulfills His determinate purpose of grace and promise, notwithstanding the unworthy actions of those who are the beneficiaries of that grace. He fulfills His purpose in spite of the actions which are alien to the integrity of His character which His will demands. He even fulfills His holy and sovereign will in connection with the unholy means adopted by Rebekah and Jacob. So remember, God said before that Jacob, would, the older would serve the younger, that Esau would serve Jacob. Well, what about hiding the Jews from the Nazis? Is, is lying not justified to protect human life? Well, this assumes there are no other options. And I, I want to admit here that it's easy in this air-conditioned room and these pews to talk about situations of what we may or may not do in such a scenario. But listen, don't let anybody come up with a situation where the only solution is sin. Calvin said in regards to this, For those who hold what is called a dutiful lie to be altogether excusable, do not sufficiently consider how precious truth is in the sight of God. Therefore, our purpose, although our purpose be to assist our brethren to consult for their safety and relieve them, it can never be lawful to lie. Because that cannot be right, which is contrary to the nature of God. And God is truth. Brothers and sisters, I have the conviction that I don't think God would ever put you in a situation where you have no choice but to disobey Him. No choice but to sin. Because think about it. If Jesus was tempted in every way such as we are, Hebrews 4 says, and yet without sin, then that would have to mean He was put in a situation where He wouldn't have a choice but to sin, right? But we know that he never did. We know that he never did. We don't have to sin. We do not have to sin. Let us not hide a desire to justify a sin in some complex and difficult scenario that many of us probably will never face. In his writing called On Lying, Augustine described a situation very similar to this question about hiding Jews from the Nazis, where he uh, describes a man, who's, a bishop whose name was Firmus. And he was hiding someone from the corrupt emperor. And the emperor sent his officers to, to go and talk to Firmus and, and ask him about this. But he refused to lie. And he refused to give up the hiding place of those that he was hiding. And as a result, they tortured Firmus. But Augustine said that he stood firm in his purpose. Because you see, this bishop knew that lying was a sin. And he was willing to suffer and die rather than sin. Do you have such a conviction? Is it more honoring to God? Is it not more honoring to God to do what is right, even if it means to suffer? First Peter 2 verse 19 says it finds favor with God when we suffer unjustly. Or in First Peter three fourteen, he says, we are blessed when we suffer for the sake of righteousness. We need to remember that anything that God tells us to do, anything that He calls us to do, we need to obey it, if, even if it means suffering. Comfort is not our goal as Christians. Honoring Christ is. Doing what would bring Him glory. And that never includes lying, especially to one another. If we look back at Ephesians 4.25, we see that we aren't simply to avoid lying to one another, but we are to speak truth to one another, for we are members of one another. That brings us to our third question today. Why? Why should we speak truth? 
Well, the first reason you must speak truth is that it is consistent with your new master, Jesus. We just talked about that, right? Jesus is truth. And, you know, I think probably one of the most ironic questions ever asked in history was Pilate when he stood before Jesus and he said, what is truth? It's ironic because who was he standing in front of asking the question? The God of truth. John 1.14 says Jesus was full of grace and truth. What did Jesus say about himself in John 14.6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. 1 John 5.20 says, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And in his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. 1 Peter 2.22 says that Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Think about that. An entire life, Jesus did not lie. Jesus never lied. Because our master is truth, and he always gives truth. And if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Christ, then you must speak truth, because that's consistent with your new master, right? And secondly, you're to speak truth because it's consistent with your new nature. Look back up at Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24. Right? How does Paul characterize the old self? And compare that to what he says about the new self. Look at the old self in verse 22. What does he say describes the state of the old self? That they were being corrupted, that you, your old man, was being corrupted in accordance with deceitful lusts. That is that your desires lied to you. That they deceived you, that they told you that this sin would be ultimately more satisfying and, and would give you comfort and joy, and that if you're looking for escape or, or ease of pain, then, then pursue this course of action, this sinful way. And then Paul says in verse 24, though, the new self has been created in the image of God in righteousness and holiness from the truth. So he, he really sets up these, this opposing paradigm that the old you was caught up in, in lies and deceit and deception from Satan and from your own lust. But the new you is one now who is being renewed into the image of God in truth. You went from that kingdom of, of darkness to the kingdom of truth and light. And so Paul begins in verse 25 with the word therefore, I think not only to, to mention, to, to talk about this general idea of being a new man, a new woman, but I think specifically he's pointing to the fact that that new you is someone now who can know and respond to and live out the truth. You're not the old you. This is further emphasized grammatically in that participle laying aside or putting aside. It's the same word that was used in verse 22 which talked about normally is uh, taking off a garment or putting a garment aside. Some translations render that participle as laying aside or, or putting away. And that gives the idea that, that as you speak truth, you're laying aside falsehood. Or, or the way to speak truth would be to lay aside or to not speak lies. Other translations like the NIV translate it as a command. Each of you must put off falsehood. But laying aside here a little grammatical for a second laying aside here is a participle in the aorist tense speak truth is a present imperative and i say that because a more accurate translation of this would be since you have already laid aside or having laid aside speak truth i think paul's emphasizing the fact that you are no longer characterized by falsehood you're no longer living in that world 
You've already laid it aside. And, and as a result, you're to speak truth with one another. You're no longer enslaved to lying, but now you've been created in truth. And yes, we can still be tempted to lie, right? Wake up now. You can be tempted to lie, right? You better all say yes. Colossians 3 verse 9, Paul says, and that's why he does this, he commands us. He says, do not lie to one another. But again, listen to the reason, the basis of that command. He says, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. See, the basis of this command not to lie is is to remember that you've been reborn. And we have gone over this many times in Ephesians because it's so important to realize this. You were created in the image of whom? God. But what happened? Sin, right? Sin happened. It marred that image. We were created originally in Adam and Eve as as a mirror to perfectly reflect the image of God. And yet sin came and, and basically covered that mirror with mud. And when you got saved, it was like a giant bottle of Windex. It's now being squirted on that mirror and slowly is, is moving away that, that dirt and filth so that God's image can be shown through you. And one of the key attributes of that image is truth. Because God is a God of truth. And that when people see us, they should be looking in a mirror, as it were, of one who is not full of deceit and falsehood, but of truth. Speak the truth because it is consistent with your new nature. And thirdly, we speak the truth because it is consistent with our new family. Look at verse 25 in chapter 4 again, where Paul says, Speak the truth for or because we are members of one another. Here we see we're to be truthful with each other because we're part of a community. Right? Another theme. Paul's coming back here one more time. Talk about the fact we are one body. We're members of a living entity. We're connected to one another. And and that word for member here is an interesting word because it's never used in relationship to refer to an organism or to an organization, excuse me, but to an organism. For lying is a destructive force within our body. Right? Remember what we read in Jeremiah 9, the impact that it had where God himself even said, hey, be on your guard against your brother, your neighbor. Let's not think that lying isn't that big a deal. To get caught up in these thoughts, of, well, it's just a slight exaggeration. It's, it's just a little shading of the facts, a, an incidental lack of including all the information. Brothers and sisters, every lie, all lies, big or small, all of them do damage to the body. I mean, think about termites. They're tiny. We're, we're trying to get a house here over on Naomi, and, and uh, we did a termite, termite inspection. And they found some of these little guys. Now, what happens if you don't deal with termites? You end up having one of those big, uh, uh, what what I was trying to think of the word for, you know, those big tents that they put on there. Kind of, you know, everyone in the the community, they've got termites, right? So you get one of those things put on your house. Or worse, if the problem doesn't get caught, they eat away at the very structure of your home. But they're just little guys. It's the same with lies the same with lies all of them bring ruin we're interconnected with each other as paul says we're members of one body now just think if if different parts of your physical body were sending false signals to one another some diseases do that and they're very devastating back in the fourth century 
preacher and theologian Chrysostom made this very point when he said this, If the eye were to spy a serpent or a wild beast, will it lie to the foot? Will it not inform it at once, and the foot thus informed by it refrain from going on? And what again? When determining whether a drug be deadly or not, will the nose lie to the mouth? And why not? Because it will be destroying itself also. And what again? Will the tongue lie to the stomach? Does it not, when a thing is bitter, reject it, and if it is sweet, pass it on? Simple but very true illustration. Any part of the body, if it were lying in any other part, it would not only hurt that part, but it would hurt itself, right? What if the eye didn't tell the feet, hey, I saw a serpent up there, and, and we go along, the feet goes along, gets bit. What happens to the eye? Well, the body dies, the eye no longer functions anymore, right? Or what about the tongue if it lies about, you know, when it's, it's tasting a, a putrid or foul or spoiled food and it, it, it's a lie, decides to lie to the, to the throat and to the stomach and, and puts it down anyway? Guess what's going to happen then? The tongue's going to experience a whole different form of pleasure and excitement as the stomach acid comes back out, right? The tongue's lie results in hermiting itself. Sorry to be graphic, but it's true. It's true. I don't think we realize just how important it is to be communicating truth with one another, just how interconnected we are and how it affects everyone else. When you lie, you hurt and injure. When you slander or flatter or exaggerate or withhold information to deceive, it hurts us all. Proverbs 26, verse 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. Proverbs 16.28, a perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Brothers and sisters, give serious consideration to how you communicate with each other. This is so important. Truth needs to permeate all that we do and all that we say. And sometimes, yes, that truth may hurt. Mike talked about it a little earlier. Sometimes we do need to say things that may hurt one another, that may cause pain. Sometimes we do need to answer questions all the time. We need to answer questions honestly, even though it might cause harm. And that's why we're supposed to do these things in grace and love, right? We're supposed to do these things in kindness, knowing that, that everyone we talk to who we're, who we're exposing a lie about, we have to remember we do the same thing, don't we? We need to be gracious but sometimes lying may seem like an easier route. You know, if I tell them this, it's going to damage our relationship. It's going to hurt their feelings. It, you know, I, and we start going through this process and realizing that, you know what? What did those verses say that Mike read earlier? Right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know why we lie, basically? We lie, basically, because we fear man. We, we desire to, we don't want to lose face. We want approval or praise. We, we want to get ahead. We don't want conflict. We don't want to suffer harm. But in the end, when we lie, it's ultimately only for our good and not for the good of another. And you know, I, I, decided, I was originally going to try to do verses 25 to 27 here and talk about lying and anger. But the more time I spent thinking and studying and meditating on this whole topic of lying... I, I begin to realize something about me. I begin to realize how little I think about it. You know, I can go a day, 
for several days or even weeks and never ask myself if I've lied. I mean, talk about blindness. I am sure that I do, and I don't even realize it, and I don't even treat it as important enough to even ask myself. I can go weeks and say, I never even think about it. That's not good. That is not good. And perhaps that, that might be you as well. We, we need to all see the lies or the slander or the fibs or the, the little exaggeration, whatever. All these deceptions are a big deal to God. And, uh, and I wanted to spend time talking about it so that we would think about this and give it more serious attention than I think we do at times. And if you're okay with it, fine. At least I was getting something out of it this week. But I know we're not okay. We all struggle with this. We all can, we're all part of that 3%. And we know it. We know it. Telling the truth is hard. Telling the truth is hard. And that leads to the last question here. How do we cultivate speaking the truth, especially to one another? Well, the first thing is, as I just mentioned, we need to examine ourselves. You need to examine yourself. Lying by its very nature is deceptive, right? And who's the first person that a lie deceives? The liar themselves. Ask the Lord, Lord, I don't think I see stuff like this in my life. I'm not sure where I may be struggling with deception or lying, but please show it to me. Ask those who know you. Yeah, that'll be easy, right? (laughs) But ask them, are there any areas that you see that it, it just doesn't seem like I'm being truthful? Lying is so a part of the flesh. Never think that you've conquered this. Never think that it's totally gone away. It comes out in so many different and subtle ways. Consistently self-examine. Consistently seek to uncover it. And then as you see it in your life, what is it that we do whenever we see a sin in our lives? Confess it, right? Yes, God hates lying. He has strong words for lying. It does make him feel sick to his stomach. But he is a God mercy. And he stands ready to forgive. He does All he's looking for is that we humbly confess it, that we admit it. And God will forgive. And he won't hold it over our heads. A humble and contrite heart, God will not despise. And following that confession, genuine repentance also takes steps to change. Look at the areas where you are tempted to lie. Think about how you would respond to that temptation in the future. Identify ways that you will deal with it. And fourthly, memorize verses. Memorize verses that deal with God's truth and His nature. With Deal with things about how you can tell the truth and why it's important. We've, I've given you several this morning. But meditate on these things. Let them dwell, dwell in you richly. And they will root out any of these lies that may be hiding in the nooks and crannies. They'll be like that termite inspector who's very good at finding them. And fifthly, Be accountable. Be accountable. Let others be involved in your life. That's the point here. We're a body, and that means we need to take advantage of that and and have one another involved in our lives to an extent that we allow people to ask us the question. We allow them to to let us know if they see something and that we commit to the fact that we're not going to be impatient or angry when they do because someone else is going to see your life most often before you do. Take advantage of that. Iron sharpens iron. And last but not least, beg God for help. Lying can be so difficult to root out, but Jesus Christ came in the world to save liars. Amen? 
He came to free us from that. He came to transform us from liars to lovers of truth. He sacrificed himself so that he could show liars can change. Liars can change. He gave himself to free you from that sin. I don't know, maybe if some of you, have, as you're listening to this and realize that, that you do struggle with lying and that you have not put your faith in Christ, that, that maybe you have other sins in your life, realize this, that Jesus did not come to condemn but to save. But He will judge. And as we saw in Revelation 21 and 22, all those who practice lying, who do not repent, who do not ask Christ for forgiveness, who do not place their trust in Him completely to save them, They will spend an eternity apart from Him. If that's you, you will spend an eternity apart from Him. Yes, all liars go to hell, but God forgives liars. Look to Jesus' example and beg Him and ask Him and plead with Him, Jesus, show me any area in my life where I'm lying, big or small. He'll answer that prayer. He'll answer it. Well, in closing, I'd like you to listen prayerfully. Bow your heads. I want you to listen prayerfully to how David begins his prayer in Psalm 15. And we'll close with this. David prays, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue. Lord, we want to be that person. We want to speak truth in our heart, Lord. Not just what comes out of our mouth, but, Lord, even from our very core of our being. We want to be truthful and honest and not deceitful. We know that that was the old us. You died that old man. You crucified that old man so that he would die. And I ask, Lord, that you would please work within our hearts so that we would be sensitized to any area in our lives where we're not being truthful, that we would treat all forms of lying as, as wrong and, and, and deal with them, Lord, so that we could rightly reflect you, so that your nature would, nature would be evident in us, and so that we could have a relationship with you and one another that is free from deceit and, and free from falsehood. And thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who works in us. And I pray, God, you would move within our body, Lord, so that we would uh, reflect the new man who was created in righteousness and holiness from the truth. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.